If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Bonus Break. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And today, friend, we are going to be talking about innovative onboarding techniques. In all of my work with nonprofit leaders, we always discuss issues with the board at some point. Now, this is true not just when we're doing a board recruitment or a board development or a board retreat project. It also comes up as an issue when I'm coaching nonprofit executive directors, during our strategic planning engagements, and also in our executive transition work. That's why I was not surprised to recently read a Stanford Business School survey of 924 nonprofit leaders that found some troubling facts about boards. And these facts may be true about your board as well. First of all, 27% of board members don't understand their organization's mission or strategy. That's almost one in four. 65% of directors believe that their board members aren't very experienced in the role. So now we're talking two-thirds of board members not being experienced in the role. And 69%, or over two-thirds of respondents, said that their organization faced at least one serious governance-related issue in the past decade. Nearly every problem you have experienced with a board can be prevented through an appropriate onboarding or orientation process. And I will be sharing the secrets to effective onboarding with you in a two-part bonus break series. This is the very first part of that bonus break series, and I'm sharing an outline for the board onboarding process and will also offer, frankly, a counterintuitive way to structure your onboarding process. Now, in the next bonus break, I'm going to share the secret sauce that makes an okay onboarding a truly exceptional one. Now, the bonus break is a short episode you can listen to while taking a tea break. It's one of the reasons why I'm actually breaking this into two segments and get the added bonus of making you 
and your nonprofit stronger. Once again, I'm Dolph Goldenberg. I'm a consultant, a coach, and a confidant for leaders at small and large organizations across the country. And I bring three decades of leadership and consulting experience, building, growing, leading, and yes, repairing organizations. Let me share with you how I decided to talk about this topic today. So about four years ago, we started to ask our clients to recruit a cohort that completes a multi-stage onboarding before they're appointed to the board. That's right. Do this onboarding before they're appointed to the board. And not surprisingly, because, well, that's not done at most organizations, many of our clients were reluctant to take this bold step. But for those that have, it has been a game changer. Their prospective board members who've gone through the onboarding process that we have designed and I am about to lay out for you today have become high-performing board members who follow through on their commitments. And so my goal for this bonus break is simple. I want to outline what this onboarding process looks like, and I also want to explain why your board should have a multi-step onboarding before candidates are appointed to your board. Before I tell you about the structure that will revolutionize your onboarding process, let me be clear that this structure requires that you recruit a group a group of prospective board members who will participate as a cohort or class together. This onboarding process will not work for boards who recruit and appoint board members one or two people at a time. Though I will share with you in a future bonus break, I'll probably go into a much deeper dive about the importance of recruiting a cohort of new board members. Your onboarding process should ideally include at least four and no more than six sessions of about 90 minutes each. And one of those sessions might actually be a a half-day hands-on experience. Each session is supposed to be fast-paced, and it maximizes interaction and small group discussion, and everything you do in each of those sessions is grounded in your mission. Additionally, Every onboarding session will have homework or follow-up work that your incoming or prospective board members are asked to complete before the next session. At this point, you're probably thinking to yourself, Dolph, four to six onboarding sessions of 90 minutes each, what are we going to be talking about? Well, that's exactly what I'm about to lay out for you now. Your first session should be on programs. In that first session, you're also going to have every prospective board member introduce themselves to the group. You're going to share an overview of all of your programs, and then you're going to do some program exercises that are really designed to inspire your prospective board members. Maybe you're going to walk prospective board members through a day in the life of a client case study. Maybe you're going to do a former client Q&A where you have some former clients come in and can share their stories and prospective board members can ask them questions. Part of what's going to be really important, though, is that when you do these program exercises, you break out into small groups. All of this works so much better when people are in duos and triads as opposed to being in a group of 10 or 15 people. 
What I always suggest is that follow-up work or the homework from your program session is that every prospective board member schedule some time to shadow a program. That actually means between this session and the next session, coming in and just watching what the program's doing. Obviously, you might need to get clients to sign off on a release when that happens, but it's really important that your prospective board members see your organization's work in action. The second session should be on governance. And in that session, there's some things you definitely want to make sure you cover. So you'll talk about the three legal duties of board service. You'll do an overview of the bylaws of your board policies and procedures. Whatever your board service expectations are, you will outline those again. I'm sure you talked about them in recruitment, but you're going to outline them again. And then you're also going to share committee roles and responsibilities. In this session as well, you're going to want to do some interactive activities. And so one might be a case study based on an actual governance issue that your organization faced. And once again, break out into small groups and have them discuss those case studies and then come back and discuss it as a larger group. One of the other things I often like to do in the governance section is a game show, just kind of a friendly competition that reinforces the material that we just covered. I always like to kind of do that as as a family feud style game show. And I've found that our prospective board members really get into it when we do gamify it. For your homework from the governance section, there's a few things you want to ask every prospective board member to do. The first, to select their committee and add those committee meetings to their schedule. The second is to schedule a one-on-one meeting with the executive director. And then the third is to complete and return a conflict of interest disclosure document because every board member should be doing that annually. So part of what you're starting to see with this homework is that we want every prospective board member to do all of those tasks and activities that we expect of a great board member. So that way, when they actually join your board, they've already done everything they're supposed to do. And now they just have to keep doing that. The third session we recommend is on finance. And in that section, you're not just going to review the financial statements, but you're also going to teach everyone how to read your financial statements. So not everyone knows what they're looking at when they see a balance sheet or when they see an income and expense statement. So it's critically important that you do that level set and you make sure that every prospective board member understands what to look for when they're reviewing your financial statements. Once again, you're going to do a small group activity. And what I would probably suggest maybe is that you have some small group conversations on the financial statements, asking them to link the financial statements to your mission. Again, everything you do in each of these sessions also needs to connect to your mission. In this finance session, you also want to spend some time to walk through your most recent 990 with prospective board members. So that way, they get used to reviewing that form, because after all, that's something you're going to expect of anyone who's on your board, is they're reviewing your 990 before it gets submitted. And that's why for the homework, you're going to ask that they once again review the most recent 990 and they reach out to the board treasurer and ask at least one question about the 990. Your fourth session should be on fundraising. And 
In this session, you are going to outline your organization's fundraising strategies. And the reason you want to do this is so A, board members understand it, but B, you can then explain the ways that board members can support those strategies. What you don't want are new board members coming in and ideating and generating lots of new fundraising activities that they're ultimately going to expect staff will do 90% of. Instead, you want to look at those activities that staff are already doing 90% of and plug your board members into that 10%. During this fundraising session, I also will typically teach every prospective board member how to craft their own love story with the organization. And then we'll give people some time in small groups, once again, to start to work through what their love story is. Now, uh, again, we may end up having a bonus break on some at some point on a love story. A love story is not an elevator pitch. An elevator pitch is typically full of facts and figures. A love story is emotional. It's why I care deeply about this organization and why this organization is important to me so that when I tell people about it, I can connect on an emotional level with the organization and with the person I'm speaking with. In this session, by the way, obviously this means you're doing a lot in just 90 minutes. We teach how to identify, cultivate, and solicit prospects. A good exercise to do here in those small groups is to ask them to review some donor personas and rate the likelihood of those personas giving to your organization. The reason I like to do this at this stage is if you've been an executive director or development director, you have undoubtedly sat in a room where a board member or a committee member names the richest person in your region. Maybe that's Bernie Marcus. Maybe it's Oprah Winfrey. But they'll say, oh, my gosh, if if we could just get to Bernie Marcus, Bernie Marcus gives away millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars every year. And all we need is half a million. Surely, if we just approached Bernie, we'd get half a million. Well, this is where that donor persona exercise comes in. Because once we realize, oh, wait, we need to make sure the person has some connection to our mission and then some connection to our organization and someone within our organization knows that person, we then stop spinning our wheels trying to follow up on suggestions that board members might be making, frankly, in good faith, they're, they're not intentionally making a bad suggestion about approaching Oprah Winfrey or Bernie Marcus or Ted Turner or somebody else. But what they are doing when they make that suggestion is they're causing us to spend time in the meeting and potentially outside of the meeting explaining why that's not a good prospect. And then for homework, there's normally a couple things that I will ask prospective board members to do. Since we've taught them how to identify, cultivate, and solicit prospects, we always ask that they solicit at least one prospect for a gift. And we're clear, this can be a gift of any size. It could be a $50 gift. We also say, you could be told no. No is success here. We just want you to get over that initial hurdle of, ooh, can I really ask for money? We also do half-jokingly say you can't ask your mama for that $50 gift. It needs to be someone who actually has the ability to say no to you. The second thing that we'll ask that they do is they complete an individual board philanthropy plan. And that relates to that first part of this session where we walk through the ways in which the organization 
does its fundraising, what its strategies are, and, and what actual tactics it has for fundraising. And in that very first part of that section, you know, we're also explaining the ways that board members can connect and fit in and support our existing fundraising efforts. So the board philanthropy plan just does that. It's essentially a structured document that allows board members, for example, to say, or prospective board members to say, okay, if I'm on your board next year, I will captain a table for the gala. And I understand that means selling 10 tickets for $150 each. Or I will solicit these, the following prospective major donors. Or I will call up to eight lapsed donors and ask them to renew their gift. But literally, it's exactly the ways in which you want to be engaging your individual board members in fundraising. So we're going to ask them to complete that board philanthropy plan between this session and the next session. Now, those are the four core sessions. You absolutely have to offer those sessions. There are two bonus sessions that if you offer them, you will end up with more inspired, more committed board members. One is something that I call a getting to know each other session. That is a 90-minute session where we have some structured activities designed to help board members really get to know each other. There's lots of good options for those structured activities. Most recently, I've become a huge fan of the Fast Friends exercise. I'll actually link to the Fast Friends exercise in the show notes on your phone, so you can go back and look at that if you want to. The final session that you could consider offering that would help increase commitment and connectivity for your prospective board members is essentially a half-day volunteer activity that you would ask that they plan and coordinate. So some examples of things that your cohort could plan and then do as a group might be chaperoning a field trip or painting a room or volunteering at a program or an event, but something that's really hands-on that connects them to the mission, that connects them to the programs, and also connects them to each other. So they're continuing to build relationships as they're preparing to move on to your board. So those are the four minimum sessions you must have, once again, programs, governance, finance, and fundraising, and two sessions that if you offer will increase connectivity and commitment. That's a getting to know you session. That would be a 90-minute session. And then that half-day volunteer activity. There's one more thing that I have already mentioned, but I want to underscore because it will revolutionize your board recruitment and onboarding process, and it will make sure that you get new board members who are on fire for your organization. So I'd already mentioned that about four years ago, we started to ask our clients to recruit a cohort that completes a multi-stage onboarding, and we asked that they do this before those board members are actually appointed to the board. So in onboarding your prospective board members, You want this process because it mimics board service, and it helps the organization and your prospective board member determine if this is a good fit. As part of this process, we provide, and you will need to provide, significant support to prospective board members so that they can complete the process in its entirety. This might mean offering makeup sessions, because let's face it, stuff happens. And if you're offering four or six sessions, there might be some people that that have a prior commitment or have a life emergency and are just unable to attend one of those. 
It also means being available to answer questions about this homework between the sessions. As part of this, though, we also track every interaction with the prospective board member once they enter onboarding. And so we know, do they attend the sessions? Did they complete their homework? Did they interact with their colleagues in the cohort? And do they interact with staff and with us in a respectful manner? Here's the kicker, though. Typically, only about a third to half of those who start onboarding fully complete the process. So if we know that we would need five new board members, we need to have 15 prospective board members in onboarding. Because we know that what will happen is a number of these prospective board members will self-select out during the onboarding process. We actually think of this as success, by the way. It means that as they're going through the onboarding process, they're better understanding what is expected of board members, and they start to realize that they lack the bandwidth to be a good board member. So once again, we view that as success. These people depart from the process on good terms. And in one case, and again, this only happened in one case out of the dozens and dozens of prospective board members we have worked with over the last couple years. But in one case, we actually had a prospect who made an $1,800 commitment to the organization as she left the process. And any process like this that gives people the agency to self-select out before joining the board is ideal because they will not become an underperforming board member who feels guilt for not fully participating. Toward the end of this process, though, there may be some difficult decisions for those folks that have not self-selected out. As a board, you might need to look at some prospective board members who maybe only completed half of the sessions or only did half of the work. And honestly, those are individuals who probably should not end up on your board because when they get on the board, guess what? They're only going to attend half the meetings. They're only going to do half of what's expected of them. And you're only going to get half of an effective board. So that's where those difficult decisions come in and sometimes those difficult conversations. But here's the thing. These are black and white conversations. These are where we're able to say to the prospective board member, we noticed that you were only able to attend half of the sessions. Would you consider joining a committee and fully committing to that committee so that at the end of the year, if you've been a full participant in that committee, we can consider you for the board. But we really need to see a higher level of participation in order for board service to be a good fit right now. My friend, I know this process works, and I know it works because our clients have told us that it does. Additionally, I know it works because our clients have engaged us to do board recruitment and onboarding for them. And frankly, they, they wouldn't be paying us to facilitate their recruitment and onboarding if this process wasn't effective. If you get anything out of today's bonus break, there are two things I want you to remember. The first is have a multi-session onboarding process that mimics board service and has homework between each session. And the second is do your onboarding before you appoint prospective board members to the board. So essentially, select prospects for onboarding, and then those who successfully complete the process get to be appointed to the board. Now, in the next bonus break, 
I am going to share with you the secret sauce that will take your onboarding from okay to exceptional. So be sure to download and listen to that session next week. If you would like that information sooner, I have already released a blog post with today's content and next week's bonus break content. So I have linked to that in the show notes on your phone. So just scroll down and click on the link and you can access that blog post now. And finally, if you listened to today's bonus break and you thought to yourself, oh my gosh, all of this sounds great. I'd love to be able to offer a multi-session onboarding to our prospective board members. But we just don't, we don't have a board that can pull it together. And as a staff member, I'm already doing too much. Reach out to me or reach out to Lexi. We do board recruitment and onboarding for lots of clients every single year. And if you don't have the ability to pull this off, we would like to work with you and help you structure in onboarding that will dynamically change your board. That, my friend, is our bonus break for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And of course, the lawyers make me say it. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the consulting practice provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please, if that is what you need, find a licensed, qualified professional in your area.